All right. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time. Got a lot of really good rain this week in Knoxville, Tennessee time. Boy, we needed that time. Cubs not in first place. Braves are in first place time. Cardinals still nowhere near first place time, so that makes all of it okay time. Whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker, Patrick Brown, Ryan Callahan. Coming to you again from the Fort Rucker sunroom, although today it's the Fort Rucker rain room, I suppose, on a rainy Wednesday late morning, early afternoon. Let's see. No, it's an early afternoon by now. Going to drop this to you on a Thursday or Friday. We normally do the football podcast on a Friday, but I think we might have to change that schedule and do football Thursday this week and then drop a hoops one probably on Friday. Fellas, how are we doing today? Doing well. Doing good. It's a, It's been a busier Wednesday than... I yes, we we have uh, we got started a little bit on a delayed schedule because of some news this morning involving yeah we did a we Tennessee did. newcomer we did got a couple things to address here really quickly uh, we did say the last podcast uh, episode that we did drop we did say that we were going to do an episode on uh, the debate on whether there should be booze in Neyland Stadium now that the uh, college football or SEC rules allow it. And we are going to get to that. We're also going to get to recruiting, which we get to all the time. But we got to spend the first segment talking about some news that did drop uh, Wednesday morning. Unfortunate news for Tennessee, uh, a guy that I think this staff was pretty high on, freshman offensive lineman Melvin McBride from Whitehaven High School in Memphis, Tennessee. This was a kid who was only ranked around, you know, barely in the top 500 or so uh, overall in the 24-7 sports composite. But If you're a top 500 football player in, in America, you're still pretty good. Yeah, you are. Book. And I think this was a guy who Tennessee thought had a chance to play a lot better than that. This was a guy they were they were really, really high on. And it's unfortunate because not long after he enrolls at the University of Tennessee, he has to hang up his cleats. Uh, he put up a post himself, I believe, on Wednesday morning saying that he was going to have to end his football career, medically retire. So uh, while that is unfortunate, um, I think there's a couple good things about this. One, for his health, they found this thing early or, or they – you know, made this decision early at least, which mm-hmm. is good. Uh, and also he can still go get a degree. So yep. it, it works out okay for the kid in the long run, which is the most important thing. But Ryan, this was a guy who I, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here. Ryan was say, really high on it. Ryan the, was big. The, 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 a lot of people were were pretty high on this kid as an offensive line prospect. Yeah, uh, and Tennessee recruited him for a few months. You know, a lot of people remember that he got the offer from, from Tennessee at camp last year and then uh, – committed by August, I believe it was, but Tennessee recruited him for a few months, even before he went to their camp. He was a really intriguing guy to a lot of people. He didn't start playing football until going into his junior year of high school. He was a basketball player that they sort of pulled off the court and said, Hey, big old basketball you'd, player. You'd be really good at football. And uh, you're, 300, so, you're 315 pounds. Have you thought about playing a different sport? Yeah. So, so I think he went out the spring at the end of his sophomore year, going into his junior year and play, practice for the first time. And he started as a junior at a program like Whitehaven. That tells you there's a lot of potential there to begin with. Which is arguably the best program in Memphis. Yeah. Put, puts out regularly at just a large volume, if nothing else, of FCS and FBS players. And then a few of those happen to be top tier prospects. Usually, Did, did you so. just make a sack of potatoes reference? No, I'm just saying across the board. Oh, okay, it's a okay. school. It's a school that has a lot of depth to it. I mean, it's we not, we went we went um, after Tennessee had its uh, big orange caravan, RIP. Yeah, uh, last summer we 
Uh, Ryan Tem- temporary went- RIP. They say they're bringing it back. We'll <laughs> okay. see. Okay. Uh, Ryan and I went to Whitehaven uh, last last summer and talked to Melvin, and uh, mm-hmm. I think we ended up talking to four or five guys. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. they were all, well, you had, of them. You had Martavius French, Bryson Eason. You had the tight end, Cormonte Hamilton, that signed with Ohio State. Yeah, great, I mean, great name. There were there, two two guys in the 19 class there was, and like two or three in the 2020 class, too. So there was a, the, a lot of talent there. The receiver who signed with South Carolina. Uh, I'm, I'm blanking Mullins, on his name. I think was his name. Kevion Mullins. There you go. Um, so, I mean, yeah, just, just that handful of players right there shows you the kind of talent they have. And the fact that he started in his first year playing football uh, spoke volumes. But not only that, but his film you know, was, was really good. And I think he showed a lot of athleticism for a guard. He was kind of, he's kind of a, he's not a very lengthy guy about six foot two. So he, he, he had this kind of sawed off look that a lot of guards have, but he, he was really athletic for a guy with that build. And, uh, and I think showed enough potential, uh, enough ability to, you know, block with some power in the run game and, and also be really athletic in pass protection that I think people thought, give him a couple years in an sec strength program. And this could be a really good player. So, I was pretty high on him, and I know definitely Tennessee's coaches were, obviously, and, and offered after seeing him in camp, and that's kind of the ultimate seal of approval from most staffs when it comes to offensive linemen is you know, not just having an offer but getting one when they see you in camp. So uh, obviously a guy that you hate to see it in this way for him and not know what he could have done with all that potential. Uh, but, but like you said, Wes, more important things than just football, obviously, and it's it's never a you know after seeing what – what Trey Smith, uh, you know, went through it has gone through so far yeah. in Tennessee. You know, you see one of these situations, and you see a career-ending injury or a career-ending uh, health issue. You're always kind of glad to at least figure out that they, whatever the issue is, that they caught it. And, and Melvin is right now kind of choosing to to keep that that medical issue to himself. But um, but regardless, it's and we will respect that. And, and yeah, uh, that's certainly his right. And yeah, because normally what what comes down to situations like this, and I'm glad you brought that up, is that. There are times where somebody doesn't want something out there, but our job is to put it out there anyway because it's in the public interest for people to know this is not one of those situations. This is a guy's yeah. health. Uh, I, I think. Well, he's wh- no longer a football player. Yeah. It's his right to keep yeah. that to himself. And, so. and I, well, I think what we can say here safely is a, a couple things. One, just to reiterate, this is nothing that began while he was at Tennessee. This was something. Yeah, you it, know, it, that, pre- that, it predated his arrival at Tennessee, yeah. and and it was sort of a. I guess you could say it was a situation that they thought had been addressed or had gone away and and sort of resurfaced. Yeah, I think we can I think we can break it down very simply like this. One, he wants to keep it quiet and we can uh, and we're choosing to do that because that's his decision and uh, I don't think it's in the public interest necessarily for them to to need to know this. It's not a Trey Smith situation yeah. where he's choosing to come out and address it head on. Yeah, that that's the first thing. The second thing is that this is not something that that happened started while he was at Tennessee. Um, so it's nothing that Tennessee should des- get any sort of blame for. And, and that would not describe it as a football-related yeah, injury. And that was, that was yeah. p- point number three is that it, I don't think this is uh, – it's obviously a health issue because like a you know something more serious and, and, and then like a sprained ankle are both technically medical issues. But this was not like a sports injury. I think we can call that – call it that. So um, that is the news. Uh, what it means now for Tennessee is interesting because, you know, offensive line, as we all know, developmental position right this is this is not a a situation where now obviously you you talk about getting some of the offensive tackles Tennessee signed last year those might be plug and play guys because Tennessee needs help there and those guys you know Wanya Moore Starnell Wright have immense talent so they they might just have to step in and play but in general offensive line unless you're a freak or the team really needs you is a developmental spot this was a guy they liked a lot 
but I don't know how much impact it would have on this season. They have right. a bunch of numbers there. But anytime you're talking about a guy who you think has a lot of potential for the future at a position like guard, interior offensive line, those are road graders. Those are those are important guys. And so I think this is not something that it's not something that can't be overcome, but it is unfortunate for Tennessee. Uh, it's unfortunate for the kid. But what do we think about sort of the impact of of this on the the team now and in the future? Well, I, I think it. <clears throat> I think you made a good point. It, it's not really. I don't know how much it'll impact 2019 in this particular season. I, don't, I think McBride was probably going to redshirt. He's. I think there was probably a, good, a pretty good redshirt yeah. candidate. I mean, you guard, never know with with guards guys. often are. I mean, that's a hard position yeah. to come in and be strong enough to push people the, around at guard. The assumption was is that the two the five star tackles were were going to have to play, and the other three guys were maybe a little bit more developmental, a little bit more project. When you yeah. talk about McBride along with uh, Chris Aperegne and um, Jackson Lampley, they were mm-hmm. uh, interior guys. Uh, Aperegne was a guard. Uh, during spring and Lampley, they want him to play center. And, and we talked about before, Patrick. They kind of had almost yeah, it's all almost five like positions a, covered yeah. in this class. And so McBride was maybe a left or either left or right guard. Yeah, he, and, he and, even could have played center in theory, but probably a guard. And, and uh, who knows how much it affects even twenty twenty because they don't. Tennessee only has one senior on on the offensive line. That's Brandon Kennedy. Um, but it just you know it it you you can't afford to to lose guys that are good players and um that. Could, or could be good players like and McBride, I think falls into that category and you hate it for him because he just got here. You know, he gets here two weeks ago, whole world's in front of him. Um, I, we, we talked to him, I talked to him last month before he arrived and, you know, he was looking forward to it. Couldn't wait to get going, was eager to continue to play football and get better at it. He knew that he was uh, still had a long way to go in terms of learning how to play the game at, at a high level like this. And then a couple weeks later, and then, you know, he's having to, to make this announcement. Um, you hate it, hate it for him, but for Tennessee, and I think, uh, the impact is what do they do in this next class? Do they uh, do they have to basically sign a replacement in the, in the 2020 class? They just got our commitment from a guard, uh, Javante Spragans, who is quite a large man. Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we'll get to that more. But that's I mean that that's kind of their they're kind of tied in there because if you're Tennessee, do you have to go add a number to the you know of, of the offensive line? I mean, you you have to get it's a position that you need to upgrade and you need to bring in more players. So maybe it doesn't. But uh, given the bodies that they've lost up front over the past however many years you know you're trying to replenish those numbers there and they like to have a, what like 15 to 16 guys at least yeah, on the a, offensive line. a good number because you always assume some of them might not work out some might transfer and, so you and need for, a lot of and even for practice purposes you want to have and they take, be able to roll in and they take to, a while to cultivate and yeah. develop and you, you know you need for, 10 ready to play really so you need 15 on the roster that's, that's 15 the gives you you know you can roll in three groups yeah, without having to overwork guys, which is something they had to, to deal with last spring when they were really low on numbers on the offensive line. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it's something that probably has a bigger impact down the road, but if you go out there and you recruit well at that position, um, and, and I think they did, you know, time will tell, but I think they had a pretty decent offensive line class this year. I think, yeah. you know, it's there's a lot of people out there who would have loved to have had Tennessee's offensive line signing class this season, oh, yeah. like full stop. I mean, you add a couple of offensive tackles like that, some high upside, you know, interior lineman guys, um, you know, some some real solid guys who look like they'll be, you know, even if they're not, you know, all SEC, all America, all pro types, they look like they could be some pretty solid offensive linemen at some point for you. That that's a pretty good haul for a year in a recruiting class, and I'm not an expert in recruiting, but I can tell you that much. Only God's yeah. an expert, Wes. That's a good right. point. It's a really uh, good point, Chuck. To quote Ma- Chuck Barkley, Ma- Ma- McBride's a good kid. So first and foremost, I'm 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 glad they 
caught this issue and that it's not going to be something that that turns into a bigger yeah, thing down bit, the road. Bittersweet, yeah. And, and so it's, it's bittersweet in that in that regard. Certainly, you hate to see it happen to to anyone before they've even gotten to play a, a, a down of college football. Um, like you said, he just arrived on campus what two weeks ago, and then this pops up and uh, and and effectively ends his career before it really even gets started. But um, yeah, now it, like like you said, for this year, yeah, it probably doesn't impact Tennessee. Uh, tremendously because even getting a spot in the two deep would have been a pretty nice accomplishment for him this year, just kind of knowing where things stand, uh, knowing they have more more bodies there that are that are capable of helping. Um, Patrick, you mentioned Chris Aperogane. You know, he, he's another guy who might need some time to develop, but even he has been here for spring practice at least. So he's been big dude, been on campus for a few months already and been through a spring practice. So even he might have been more ready to play this year in some ways than, than McBride having arrived in the summer. So you you've got other options there, so it probably doesn't affect things unless you just really get ravaged by injuries. And Tennessee certainly hopes that doesn't happen again. But it quickly becomes a recruiting issue because, like you said, Patrick, they might need to adjust in the 2020 class. And the positive for them is this is happening early enough that they can very easily adjust. And and good news, they just got an uh, an offensive guard commitment, as you said, Javante Spragans from East St. Louis, Illinois, and they're in shape with some other good guards that they like quite a bit. Uh, we we'd seen recently more guard body types than tackle types i would say that look like they're you know very high on tennessee so this if you end up deciding hey we need to take another interior lineman because of this you're 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 well positioned to do that if you're tennessee james robinson from alabama is a guy they had on campus recently he's taking an official visit to tennessee this weekend that certainly could make him even more of an option for tennessee or or make it easier for him to have a path to tennessee because they uh they they now have more of a need at guard uh, and, and still in, in pretty good shape with some other guards that they're heavily recruiting. Xavier Hills, another another guy from Mississippi they're recruiting heavily, also scheduled to take an official visit to Tennessee this weekend. So Those guys in addition to some of the, the main, yeah. more well-known targets, Cooper well, Mays and well, Xavier Chris Hill, Morris too. Xavier Hill, though, for example, at Alabama, LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Texas A&M are the teams he's considering. So some big competition there, even though he's a three-star. Um, Alabama recruiting him pretty heavily, from what I understand. And so he's from Olive Branch, which is basically yeah, Memphis, just for the record. Basically Memphis. So yeah, not too too far away there. And kind of like you're basically from Memphis. <laughs> no, I didn't live as far out of South as uh, Olive Branch. <laughs> but uh, good try though, Wes. Good effort. But yeah, so Tennessee's in not, good shape. Not, not factually incorrect. Tennessee's in good shape with some guards they like quite a bit. So that's that, this is a good time for them to sort of figure this out and be able to adjust in camps and things like that this summer and and know how many guards they need to take. But yeah, we had talked before about three or four being you know the number of offensive linemen they probably signed in the 2020 class. Now I'd say for sure four and, and potentially five I've, after this. Yeah, I've when, always, when you I'm, look at the number, oh, go ahead. I've always wondered how teams manage these boards because obviously a guy like, like Spragans, and mm-hmm. he's probably not ahead of some other guys. But then they see him in camp, and apparently he lit the world on fire in front of him. Well, and they and were just wowed, and so they immediately, you know, take him. And I'm just, I wonder how how quickly do they move yeah. him up? I, I just I wonder mean, how how staffs kind of do that, it, or if or if that's just something where they, um, you know, do they have an open slot for camp guys? Because we saw a lot of camp guys in this past class. McBride was one of them. It just takes making a pretty quick decision. I think you know, I, I don't think you've got time to really meet. I mean, it happened the day those guys were at camp, so I don't think yeah. they've had time to meet and discuss. You know, <laughs> oh, do we like him better than this guy? I think it's just sort of a you know, you figure out the things are headed in that direction, maybe, and you you pull a you know maybe Jeremy Pruitt pulls Will Friend aside <laughs> and they have a quick discussion about it. Hey, we taking this guy? You know, what's the deal? You know, haven't seen some of the clips of him. I can see why. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I did that. Sort of, you just have to you just have to sort of read and react and just say, hey, this is a football player we don't want to pass up. You know, you, you know, you always know in the back of your mind the other guys left on the board, but sometimes you see a guy right there in person and you say, we need him. And that if you we'll get into recruiting a little more later, but. 
you know, if you're looking for a reason to be excited about Javante Spragans, it's a guy that didn't have many offers recently. Went to a camp at uh, at Lindenwood a couple weeks ago. Uh, I think several college coaches were in attendance. He, he got nine offers over the next two days after that camp. Um, so a lot of people who have seen him recently in person have been really impressed. And obviously Tennessee's coaches were among them. So that's maybe one. If you're looking for a reason to feel better about this, about the future at guard after the loss of McBride, certainly Spragans is one of those guys that can help with that. And, and we'll see what else they bring in at that position and, in this class. And I think the other question with McBride is because he – he was here. He was enrolled. What happens with his scholarship? Do they get a yeah. Do they get a counter spot back? The good news for Tennessee is they should be able to fill that spot one way or another. I don't know yet. Uh, still looking into whether they will be able to get that initial counter spot back. You would think there's at least a strong case for that since he's just been on campus a couple of weeks. I think I don't know if that's the kind of deal that might have to be appealed to the NCAA or, or how that's all dealt with. You know, we we saw a similar situation sort of last year with Tanner Antonuti not playing. Hopefully, the NCAA, if that's the situation, acts faster than they are. with yeah. Aubrey Solomon and D'Angelo Gibbs. <laughs> that's true, but uh, yeah. So so that's a possibility. But either way, even if even if say they didn't get that initial counter spot back, what they would be able to do is theoretically blue shirt someone in the 2020 class, um, and and be able to to count someone ahead now to to fill that to fill that spot. So even if you weren't able to to say sign another guy to a letter of intent this year, you'd be able to enroll up to 25 um, next year and, and still yeah, according- or, or have to blue shirt less maybe in their case, you know, that, that the numbers can be affected a couple different ways, but yeah, they'll, the short answer is they'll be able to sign 25 uh, regardless. And, and if they get that spot back in theory, they could, they could maybe sign up to 26. Yeah. And before we go to break here, I'll, I'll just break down the, the numbers here, unless I'm counting incorrectly, which I should always throw out there is possible, always possible with me and math. We don't always get along, but I think there, if you include Trey Smith, I think there's 14 scholarship offensive linemen now, um, if you don't, and that that's that, you should just look at our scholarship distribution page that I have done an excellent job of maintaining. That's counting Trey Smith. That's a good point. I'm that, tooting my own horn here, that, but no, whatever. Hey, if, it's not. You know what? You're not. You're not. Um, you're confident. You're not arrogant. There's a difference. <laughs> if there are four, I think there are 14. If you count Trey Smith, but don't count Melvin McBride, and then in that, um, there's a couple guys in there, including one guy who I think is kind of interesting, who's not a scholarship guy, uh, who's Jerry's Abercrombie, who's a redshirt freshman. Uh, from Alabama, this kid is about six four, three twenty five. Big he, kid, big, big, big kid, and he looks like he moves pretty well. For uh, he, when I saw him, I was like, "Well, that's a pretty good get for a walk on." So they've got some guys there, but when you start looking at the class distribution, uh, they did redshirt a couple guys last year. Carvin's still just a sophomore this year. You know, you've got the three, the four other guys that are freshmen this year, including now you got a redshirt freshman, Ollie Lane. So you, you you've got some some pieces there um but you've also got some some juniors and seniors there who are going to be gone pretty soon that that underscores the point that ryan just made they really really need to put up numbers on the o-line in this class and that also a lot of times correct me if i'm wrong ryan but i think that means that if you have a class that's really heavy on offensive linemen a lot of times that will affect the rankings because for a lot of times offensive linemen it seems like there are more like programs, even good programs will take more three-star players at offensive line than they will sometimes other places. It looks like I'm not saying it yeah. drags your class down a little bit, but I think it might. If you look at history over time, I think if you have an offensive line heavy class, a lot of times you're not going to have a super highly ranked class. It, it can. It, it just depends on on who you get. Obviously, you know, uh, it might be the difference between taking a a Xavier Hill, a guy like that who's a highly recruited three-star. 
versus um and, and this isn't to say he won't rise in the rankings but a james robinson who right now is in the i think 1100 range nationally so yeah. like those are those are both guys tennessee likes a lot uh and, and you never know how the rankings might look on signing day but that just shows you there can be lower rated offensive linemen who end up being pretty highly regarded by signing day you know chris aperogane was not very highly ranked by 24 yeah. 7 sports but tennessee's coaches loved him so uh there, there's plenty of plenty of examples of that going both ways you know certainly you can get higher ranked guys we've seen tennessee sign some pretty highly touted offensive line classes 2015 yeah. you know they had jack jones and drew richmond some other guys in that class so they they've you, you've had some classes like that obviously last year the two five stars uh in the 2019 class so you can get that way but yeah offensive linemen are a position where you sort of have to trust coaches evaluations over over the rankings in some cases because coaches are willing to maybe reach a little bit more for for guys that are ranked a little lower perception wise it might look like a reach but to them it's not um because there's there it's just it's, I, i've had i've had coaches tell me that that offensive line is the hardest it's the hardest yeah position to recruit and evaluate because you're projecting that's what i was gonna what say guys are gonna look like in two three four years when they've had that long you know to be in a weight program right. and, and a nutrition plan well, and, and, I, shape. and i think anyone who's ever voted on like an all sec or all america team and i can speak from experience here i know uh others on our company and our site have too but that's also the hardest position to just you know yeah. you pick guys for that it's just hard unless you are you know an offensive line is good but how often do you know that yeah. an individual guard is playing that well like you have to you've either played offensive line for a while or have coached it or been from a family of coaches because i tell people all the time there's a lot of things about sports i do get uh grading offensive linemen individually not one of those things i i i i don't know i ask coaches that's the only thing i know i mean i i, I can look at especially guards because like tackles you can see did he block the guy or not okay guard you know you're pulling a lot you're doing a lot of things you don't know who maybe missed an assignment who didn't it, it can be tough to figure out kind of inside that phone booth who was supposed to do what so yeah i mean but but the bottom line is i look at the numbers here and uh especially with the way Tennessee's had luck lately with offensive linemen. I mean, I don't think these things are connected at all. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but they've had nearly a handful of offensive linemen just in the past few years have to, re you know, retire early from, from the game. So, uh, yeah, I would lock up. Uh, I would load up on those guys. Hey, well, and, and they've had a lot of, uh, I mean, this is the, I think, fifth offensive lineman just this offseason that's had to uh, <clears throat> go on medical scholarship or retire from football when you look at Chance Hall. See if I can name off the top of my head. Tanner Annuity, as we touched on, was a guy mm -hmm. who had a back injury. Yep. I don't. Do, we don't even have any pictures of him at practice from last season because I'm not sure he did practice. I don't. I'm not sure. He ever I think done. he. I think he practiced a couple times. And I don't know when they were not even. When they day. were not even in pads. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very early on in camp, um, Eric Crosby was a guy. Uh, didn't see him practice a whole lot in the spring. Uh, Devontae Brooks, who didn't do anything in practice in the fall last year and, and came here all a handful in one year that's the injuries crazy I mean, that's to five guys that's a whole starting well, that's a whole unit in, in a practice i mean it's a whole i mean and the thing is tennessee looked like it had gotten back closer to having the kind of depth you need at that position and then you have a couple of these departures and suddenly you're right back in a position where you need to sign five uh, i'm wondering four if they or five next year. i'm wondering if they had walk-on tryouts or anything like that or or if they're if they've been you know, and I know I know they're always looking. So that's a dumb question. But and that's I mean, not to say they're in bad shape now. No, no. But I mean, I wonder like if for practice bodies, because I know they like to two spot and three spot if they can, yeah. and get a bunch more reps in in practice. I wonder if they're going to have to go like when school comes back, have a couple of tryouts, be like, hey, are you a big guy? Can you move a little bit? Uh, you want to come over here and see if you can be a practice body? I mean, they might have to do something like that because they're trying to. You know, we know how Jeremy Pruitt feels about practice development. We know that he thinks that coaches who 
basically just have the ones take 65% of the reps and then the the twos take 25% and the threes take 10% and the fours just stand there. He thinks that's just the dumbest thing ever. And I, I kind of think he might have a point there. So we know how he likes to practice. And now you look at those numbers and you go, well, they might need a little bit, a few more bodies there to do what they want to do. But uh, anyways, that's a tough situation uh, for the kid. Thoughts out to him. Glad they found it early. Kind of bittersweet. But um, there's nothing else, guys. I think we can go to break and come back and talk a little bit of recruiting. Sounds good. We still like products and services. Heck yes. Do we like in-house ads? Like about, hey, if you like this podcast, you might like other podcasts in the network. Do, do we do we like that? We, yeah. Are we, are we good with that? Sure. I got good news, guys. Hashtag ad. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. And we're back. Good break, guys. Good break. Did you get anything I, accomplished? I enjoyed hearing about those goods and services. I did too. I thought it was a really good promo talking about the maybe that other show, some of those other shows on the network. I think those guys or gals on that show are doing a really good job. So congratulations to them. Hope you listen to them. And uh, you know what? Come scratch our back in return, guys. We're gonna we're, we're scratching your back. Now come back and scratch ours. But we did have to open with what we didn't want to have to open with this podcast, which is talking about Melvin McBride's situation. That just kind of popped up at the last minute, such as the nature of the job. Uh, much worse situation for, for him than anything else. Hate to see that, but uh, it happens. Uh, but if you want to look at some uh, some good news for Tennessee, uh, remember, what was it, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about our pets' heads falling off? You know? Did we have to talk about that? Um, yeah, I, I don't... I don't remember that. You don't remember recruiting? No. You don't remember that recruiting? The, oh my God, we're burning alive. We had the oh, episode just a couple weeks yeah, ago about, okay. you know, they only had like six, seven commitments. What's going right, on there? Right. Yeah. You know, the, the, there's, if people who were worried about that maybe now can worry a little bit less because Tennessee seems to have had a pretty good week on the recruiting trail or a good weekend anyway, Ryan, because they popped up anytime you go bang, bang on recruit on commits in one day. Yeah. Uh, that's a pretty good day. That is. And, and, and it tends to happen sometimes, uh, sometimes in this part of the calendar year, we, we talked about before, we didn't really know of anyone that was like imminently announcing a decision, but you can always expect something to happen in June, whether it's from guys visiting who've been close yeah. to decisions and just kind of decide sooner than expected to go ahead and commit or whether it's guys that you see at camp uh, that you offer and and they commit on the spot or commit quickly thereafter, and that's sort of what happened with Javante Spragans. We talked about him a little bit earlier, the three-star offensive lineman. He was the first to announce, but he and his teammate Antonio Johnson, the four-star safety, sort of committed together while they were on campus Friday. Uh, they were in town for the Vol 7-on-7 tournament. This is an example of how 7-on-7 tournaments can help you. People may, may wonder, you know, aside from getting guys on campus, which yeah. obviously isn't a bad thing, what how can you maybe benefit? 
these guys came with their teammates to to the seven on seven tournament. You got them down to campus because they were with their team for the seven on seven tournament, yeah. um, and they were sort of just hanging out. Spragans tagged along because he was just going to snap for his team uh, just to get some work in, I guess, uh, during the summer and and sort of help out with his seven on seven team. Yeah. And Tennessee sees him and they know about him obviously, and they say, "Hey, come on up to camp." And they get Antonio Johnson and other guys to work out up there. And then next thing you know, you've got some pretty talented guys working out at your camp. Obviously, Tennessee liked them. Um, they, had, they had offered Johnson a few months earlier. Uh, he's, he had some pretty pretty heavy hitters involved in his recruitment. LSU and Texas A&M were thought to be uh, some of the top contenders. Kentucky was up there, too. But, but Tennessee gets him on campus for the first time and you know, really impresses him. His teammate decides to commit. That probably didn't hurt uh, in terms of making that happen for him that day. Yeah. But um, considering he didn't go into the visit thinking he might commit or anything like that, it was sort of just a spur-of-the-moment thing. Um, so for this to to play out the way it did, it's a, it's a nice couple of pickups for Tennessee. You start addressing the offensive line, and, and obviously guard looks like a bigger need now uh, with, with Melvin McBride not being part of the program going forward. And then uh, and, and then Antonio Johnson obviously addresses a big need at safety, a pretty pretty athletic guy so um definitely can cover a lot of ground back there around 185 pounds six six two or so yeah, i heard somebody tell me that that this is um and, and again I'm, I'm throwing out here as the caveat i am not the recruiting guy on our side like i, I like i'm not that's not my area that's my okay area of expertise. You're, you're allowed to say what you but, want but what i'm saying is i heard someone explain to me that i was talking to someone said that this kid looks like an LSU safety. Yeah. Just with his size, with his physicality, with the way he runs around, flies around, hits people. And actually 170, 179 yeah. is what he is now, so a few pounds lighter. But, but, than... but at 6'2", with that kind of frame that he could build on, yeah. I've heard people talk very highly about this kid and say that, hey, if he looks like one of those guys that LSU or Bama would take kind of physicality-wise at the position. Uh, and he is, just to square this away, uh, the number 163 overall prospect, yeah. uh, number 11 safety prospect, and number three prospect in Illinois. Uh, and I like with both of these kids, Ryan, that um, – Oh, I guess I should reset here and say quickly that uh, Spragans is, uh, again, like someone Tennessee staff likes a lot, but he's rated, just to give you the numbers, 887 overall, uh, 53 offensive guard, and 16 in the state of Illinois. But these were... You're not going to see a lot of, like, four- and five-star guards. Yeah, they're, they're, it's not That's a position. Not a position that gets a lot of highly Which is funny, players. though, because you see more of those guys now getting taken in the first round of the NFL draft. So I wonder, A little bit. I wonder. It seems still like the past tackle few years, types more often. Sure, but, but there have been in the past couple of years a few more guards and centers go early on in, in drafts and first-round, second-round guys. And I just I, I yeah. wonder going forward if that's going to be – You see, I mean, we're – But nothing's going to change the fact that they're hard to project yeah, at that age. Yeah, but people are willing to rate, rank – uh, say, uh, centers and guards higher. I mean, Clay Webb was a guy that signed with uh, with Georgia that you saw. Um, top there's fifty. Justin player. Rogers, right in his class. Justin Rogers, a guard who's who's very highly ranked. So there, there's some examples. And it's going to have a really interesting recruitment in, in perpetuity. Yeah, but they're they're just you know it's just rare to find those guys. You you see many more tackles that um, that that maybe project as that first round potential guy, whereas guards and centers, it's it might be one or two in a class that really stick out like that. So so yeah, more often those are going to be your three star type. So I don't think there's anything to worry about there with him being ranked where he is. Let's face it, his recruitment was sort of under the radar until a couple weeks ago. And he's now a he's a massive kid who moves really sort of blo- pretty well, sort of blown up. And I'll say this, uh, Alan, Alan true, who covers the, the, the Midwest for us at 24, seven sports. And, and, and if you are a go 24, seven reader, uh, you saw where he posted on our board, um, some, some pretty glowing comments about, uh, about Spragans. And, and he told me, uh, separately, Hey, I love this kid. I, I, 
I, I'm I'm glad to see him go into a program like that because I think he can play there, and that's uh, that 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 tells you a lot because Allen Allen knows knows football, knows talent, and uh, and has seen a lot of good players come through that that region. And uh, when when he says that about a lineman, I I I think that that speaks volumes. And I've seen some of the film from him recently, it's just seeing a couple clips of him at these recent camps. Uh, he's an athletic guy for not being extremely long, extremely tall. He he's got a lot of things going for him, and I think as he develops. Uh, and adds, you know, improves his strength and uh, adds to what he can do today. You know, he, he can be even better. So Tennessee's staff, again, with the other guards and, and linemen in general that they're involved with, for them to take a guy like that, I think tells you they were pretty impressed by him. They certainly didn't. I don't think they were panicking, looking for an offensive lineman to commit. I mean, they, they must have been quite impressed to, to go ahead and take it. Yeah. And I think there's a couple of things I really like here. Um, and I think Ryan, you're again, the guy to ask about this for, for, Several reasons. One, uh, these kids are from East St. Louis High School, which has produced a ton of athletes over the years. There are always athletes there. That is a program uh, that produces kids in multiple sports. Uh, I like that, and I know that you know um, that's you know you're a Cardinals fan. Your wife's from that area, so you know that area pretty well. I think probably better than the rest of us do. And that area produces some really, really good athletes. Hey, Conzo Martin can tell you about all the yeah. great athletes that come out of and, there. There's and some... Jackie Joyner-Kersey. I mean, it goes yeah. back. There's a, just a lot of saw, really big athletes. I think I saw there. Brian Cox was from there. There, yeah. there's, some, there's some really good players over the years who've come out of there. But uh, and, and, yeah, that's a program that uh, that, that puts out uh, a good number of Division One football players, too, despite basketball kind of being more of the, the calling card for a lot of kids in that area. Yep. Football has become pretty big, too. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a a good program to to go to. Tennessee's recruited a couple of other guys from that school. Not not guys they landed, but they've recruited some guys from that school in recent years too. The previous staff did, I know. Uh, and and T Martin is worth noting. I, I don't know that how much this had to do with those guys getting to camp, but T Martin has some relationships in that area. He recruited a Dory Jackson for USC, and a Dory Jackson was in that uh, that East St. Louis, Belleville, Illinois kind of area just east of St. Louis, and uh, and so I, I think he had enough relationships there that he might've played a role in, in helping those guys get to campus and, uh, and, and recruiting them a little bit. So that, that again, it's an example of what this staff uh, can do. Yeah. Derek Ansley also, um, Antonio Johnson mentioned he'd been recruited by Ansley essentially since he was a freshman in high school, he knew him from his time at Alabama. So uh, again, the, these guys coming in from elsewhere, they've got existing relationships. And in this case, I think both of those guys uh, at least had enough ties in, in the St. Louis area. And, and in Ansley's case had enough ties to Antonio Johnson, that, that that was part of the reason both those guys either made it to campus or felt comfortable with Tennessee. Yeah, the, the way that, that Conzo used to explain it to me was that there were a couple of big high schools in East St. Louis um, back when he was, you know, going to that, when he was in that age group, I guess. And he said that um, I think it was East St. Louis was the place where you went if you were a good football player, and Lincoln may have been the place where you went if you were a good basketball player. And so his brother, who was a good football player, went to East St. Louis, and he went to Lincoln because it was uh, the better basketball power. So I think there, there are some – I don't have the list with me, but I know there are some, some pretty, pretty darn good players who have come out of that program. And uh, I, like, I like taking guys from programs historically where you know you're going to get some pretty good players. I think that's that's the what matters most is the way that you you gauge each individual player's ability. But I do like the fact that if you go from historical trends, you know, history usually provides a pretty good roadmap. If you go to a couple good programs, and coaches know this, there are programs where coaches go try to visit every year, a couple times, 
keep up with the coaching staff to see who's coming up through the ranks there, you know, and I think that's one of those that's one of those that's one of those schools in that area that that produces some pretty good players. So you get a couple guys from one class there. Hey, you never know. You might be able to start getting a couple guys out of there. And if you're Tennessee, we've said this before, there aren't many programs in the country that have to sit there and be surrounded on all sides by Bama, Georgia, Clemson, the three recruiting monsters right now. Yep. And, and and that sucks for Tennessee. So if you're Tennessee, you still feel like you want to compete against those guys, especially when they're players from your own backyard. But if you're Tennessee, you also don't need to be opposed to going to the Midwest. You don't need to be opposed to going to, you know, let's say Big Ten country, uh, Big 12 country, and selling the SEC and trying to get kids. You know, uh, programs like Kentucky do this really well. They're able to get a lot of guys out of Ohio because they say, hey, do you want to go play for Big Ten school or do you want to come play for the, the best conference in the country? And they get a lot of guys doing that. So I'm not saying Tennessee has to do that because Tennessee is obviously historically in a different stratosphere from them. But I think as long as Bama, Georgia, Clemson are just dominating the way they are in recruiting, I think if you're Tennessee, the smart thing to do is you have to compete against them, but you also have to be willing sometimes to suck it up and go places they're not going to get guys. Well, and it's, it's not just that. I think it's that uh, you can – It's it, Tennessee is conveniently located in an area that – you know, it's closer to the Midwest than most other SEC schools. Yeah. It's closer to D.C. And, and Virginia and places like that than most SEC schools. So you've got to take advantage of that proximity. Yeah, you're close to Georgia and the Carolinas, and those have always got to be important to Tennessee in recruiting. You've got to try to recruit Alabama, Kentucky, where when there's players there. But you got to be willing to go to the other places that you're closer to than your competitors. And you can sell the SEC up there and kind of be – a lot of times you'll see Tennessee as sort of the lone finalist for players from the Midwest because they can play in the SEC without going too, too far from home. Yep, their parents can still come see yeah, them play. Yeah, if, if you're from Indiana, even East St. Louis is only about seven, seven and a half hours from Knoxville. So uh, when, when you're talking about that kind of drive, it's far enough away from home, but not so far that it's difficult for players to justify doing it. And if you want to play in the SEC, you know, Tennessee offers the 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 closest school uh, for a lot of those players that, that they view as a yeah. big-time kind of program, you know, that... Kentucky is changing the perception of its program maybe, but it's not, not traditionally been seen as quite the level of Tennessee in football. So if you want to go to, if you're from the Midwest and you want to go play big time SEC football, but you don't want to go all the way to Florida or Alabama or Auburn or LSU, there's, yeah. there's your chance at Tennessee. What if Tennessee had gone up there to get Benny Snell or something? I mean, you yeah. know, I mean, you, you got to think about these things. I and, mean, there, there's places. I, I just think that it's important for Tennessee because historically, you know where you want to be and historically you want to be recruiting right there and you want to be taking people away from, you know, Bama, Georgia, Clemson, Auburn, all those types, because, you know, at the end of the day, by God, you're Tennessee. But I think there also comes a point in time when you're trying to rebuild and you kind of have to suck it up and say, where can I go get guys? And you have to think outside the box. And Tennessee, even when it's been at its apex, you know, even when Tennessee was kind of the apex predator in the SEC, there with Florida, them in the SEC and all that, Tennessee's gone to California. Tennessee's gone, you know, to the Pacific Northwest. Tennessee's gone, you know, all kinds of places in the Northeast to go get guys. And that's what Tennessee kind of has to do. Yeah. And, uh, and, and this is, you know, the, you mentioned this ha happening in camps, you know, Tennessee had camps all of last weekend, had some big time players in, in town. And we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Haynes King, the quarterback from Texas, who was the sort of the headliner of the official visitors that Tennessee had in. They'll have more official visitors in this weekend and next weekend uh, before the dead period that starts on June 24th. But Haynes King was obviously a big name that Tennessee had in and, uh, I think made it made a really good impression on him and has a 
real shot at landing him. I think you have to say coming out of that visit, uh, but a couple more visits left to go. He's going to Auburn this weekend, and, and it sounds like Duke sometime next week, either late next week or over the weekend. And uh, and then after that, he's hoping to make a decision that, that should come as early as this month. So that's one to watch pretty closely if you're a Tennessee fan. And I think uh, we, we've obviously had plenty of plenty of coverage on that on Go Vols 24-7. But interesting development as, as Tennessee continues to add to this 2020 class. One of the things to watch is who they get as a second quarterback. And Haynes King has been the guy they've sort of had their sights set on for several months now. And that would be a hell of a quarterback class. Yeah, if they could sign Haynes King and, uh, and, and Harrison Bailey, you'd have to go go back pretty far. To, to remember the last time Tennessee signed two quarterbacks that highly touted, even before Brent Schaefer and Eric Ainge in 2004. I think you'd have to go back to probably that not, 2000 class that had Rattay and Casey Clawson. No love for Dobbs and uh, the Dobbs and Ferguson class? Uh, they both turned out pretty good. Well, th- no, they did. I'm just saying. They, weren't, just highly, they weren't as highly ranked. Yeah, yeah. Ferguson was a three-star, but a high three-star. I mean, he was highly regarded. And, and Ainge was a three-star, which is why I said to go back far enough to see Tennessee sign yeah, two. Yeah, Schaefer was the bigger prospect. Yeah, to see, to see where Tennessee signed two four-star quarterbacks, I think you would have to go back to probably around 2000 when, when Tennessee signed a couple guys and had the starting job kind of open after T. Martin. So, But the Ferg made, the Ferg made it work. He did. He did. And every Tennessee fan is going to go back to the Stuart Manning class sure. just because that's what they're going to do. And, I mean, and hey, I, don't, I don't blame them. But. And hey, let's see if Tennessee can land Haynes King. And then after that, let's see if they hold on to Harrison Bailey. I mean, he, Harrison Bailey has said all along, you know, he knows Tennessee is signing a second quarterback, but it's still going to be a situation to keep an eye on if that happens because it's one thing to have a second quarterback. It's another thing for it to be a guy who's ranked higher in some rankings than you are. It, it's, you know, you always wonder, a quarterback's going to be tempted to look elsewhere if, if schools continue pursuing I just, them. I just think of Pruitt's line, and I'll probably butcher it, but he's he said about quarterbacks before is that you better you better find one yeah you better have one and if you don't have one you better find one um, so. absolutely and, and as Cutcliffe you can get two of them Cutcliffe said you have to sign have at least one he, you, every year sometimes two if you get two of them you have a better chance of one of them being turning out to be what you need and and I think if you're looking for a way to turn around your program as fast as possible one of the ways is to get a good quarterback in there who's a difference maker and, and I, yeah you go and, and, position on the field yeah and 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 in King's case you know certainly we've talked about Harrison Bailey he's got the arm talent to to have a pretty dynamic passing game and then King I, I think is is seen as a as a good passer but on top of that he's got a little more mobility he run, he runs a he ran a 450 40 yard dash uh, at a camp earlier this year. So I don't want people to get the idea. That's fast. Again, don't compare every dual threat quarterback to Josh Dobbs. You're not going to find guys who Dobbs can, runs like a wide receiver. Dobbs ran like a running back in some ways. I mean, he bounced off defenders. He had a way of just avoiding he- hard contact. I, I he slipped out of the pocket. I mean, there were so many things he did that are just intangible. And, and no matter what his 40 time was, he was great flies at flies F16s. Yeah. But I, I still remember Kurt Majid being like what, early in Dobbs' career being like, that dude is elusive. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, he turned out to be pretty right. And, Sli- and that's, yeah, and so King sli- might have slippery. And, and Garantano at one point had great straight line speed coming out of high school as he's gotten bigger he's probably lost a step from that but people say i don't know why it was dual threat he ran some fast 40s coming out of high school so 40 times don't tell the whole story the, the, but king the, has great speed the oh. guy the guy I go back to is baker mayfield who i don't know and don't care what his 40 time is but that dude is so slippery and elusive in the pocket yeah. i mean how many times did you see when he was at oklahoma well Derek barnett couldn't sack him yeah Derek barnett sacked everyone yes i mean he just some guys have a way of bouncing off of guys and slipping away from guys and they just have a, a, a another like a sixth sense kind of um they see dead people but you know i i think that when you when i i'll say this quickly and i've said it several times but but i think it it's just as true now as it's always been i don't ever want to recruit a player that is scared off by another good player if i'm trying to get 
my program, if I'm a Tennessee coach and I consider it my program and I want to get my program back to where it normally is in college football in that pan, in that landscape, I don't want to sign guys who are scared off by other players. Uh, and again, I understand, especially at quarterback more than any other position, I understand why sometimes guys just really want to be the only guy in the class because one quarterback can play at a time. That's just how it goes. Uh, it's different from any other position in that way. But I, I think that I don't... I wouldn't want a guy that would be turned off by that. Yeah, I want a guy who who's going to say... I mean, think about the, all these guys that like Bama signs every year. They don't care how many other five stars are there. They think, you know what? I'm, I'm good. And, and I'm going to play. And, and that's I'm, what go- you, I'm a great player. I'm going to play. And the flip side of that is if you're... Your coach, your coaching staff, you're going out and try to get the best players every year. Yes. And you, I mean, if you want to be brutally honest with players, you can say, All right, you're a great player, but I'm going to go out and try to find somebody better than you. Yes. You're going to try and, to find somebody. And quarterbacks else. know that's the deal. I mean, yeah. they, they understand that. So whether you're going to have competition I mean, in the same class or the next year, you're going to have competition. Any, but, uh, it, but it, I think even any good company that has nothing to do with sports, just any good company wants to go out and get the best people every year. And in and, and King's situation, he's a guy that. Uh, and Jim Chaney saw he was one of the first guys that he Chaney was, offered. He when, was the first guy Chaney go. offered when the he got to Tennessee. Guy. Well, actually, Callahan here. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, um, so that was one of the early guys, and I think King. Uh, you you talked to him, Ryan. And, and one of the one of the draws for him is is the chance to to play for Chaney and and for Chris Winkie as well. Yeah, people wonder. I mean, I think people in Texas that are looking at this, and maybe even Texas A and M fans primarily are, are looking at this and wondering. Well, why, they're they're Aggies, so give them a break. Well, but I think they're looking at this kind of wondering why would he want to go to Tennessee? They've already got a highly ranked quarterback committed. That program has not won as many games as Texas A and M recently. So there, there's a lot of things that I mean, just on the surface, A and M would appear to have a leg up on them. But I think he's. Very intrigued by Tennessee's coaching staff. You got to remember, his dad is a high school football coach, and what does this staff do really well? Get along with high school football coaches. <laughs> Jeremy a lot Pruitt of them used to be high school. Football yeah, coaches. Jeremy Pruitt prides himself on being a former high school coach. So they've got the, high school. So you got some common ground there, and then you've got a couple guys: Chris Winkie, a former Heisman winner, who played in the NFL, and a guy who worked with. You know, th- this isn't mentioned enough. I mentioned this to some people recently. Chris Winkie, in two years in the NFL, coached Jared Goff, Case Keenum. And Nick Foles. Well, even before that, he was training guys like Cam Newton. I think yeah. Russell Wilson were some guys that came down and, and trained with him at uh, at IMG. Yeah. So, so, but those three guys in St. Louis that he coached, I mean, they've gone on to be starters elsewhere in the NFL. And whether you attribute that growth that they had to him or not, he had he had a hand in their development for a brief time there. And more then they went on and got more than, Yeah, more than enough hand in it to tell recruits. Yeah, and that, <laughs> I absolutely would be pointing that out. So, so yeah, he, he's got that track record. And then you've got Jim Chaney, who's known for developing Drew Brees and obviously worked with Tyler Bray at Tennessee and had, had some good quarterbacks at Georgia. Um, you know, he's, he's done a good job with quarterbacks. Nathan Peterman at Pittsburgh is one of his better reclamation projects, sort of developed him for a while at Tennessee, then got him up to Pittsburgh. Crom- Crompton remains his main yeah, Jonathan Crompton at Tennessee. Boy, so he, I still think what he did for Peterman at Pitt is, is yeah, that's I think there. it was really impressive. But Peterman's yeah. big year though came after Cheney left. It was, so I think. That, yeah, the that one year after. But, but again, a year under Cheney might have helped him get to that point. Sort of the same with you sure. know with what the year, Case Keenum and some of those guys might have done under Winky. It might have helped them the year that that Peterman led the ACC in passer rating when the ACC had. Let me free, see if I can remember all these. Deshaun Watson, yeah. Mitchell Trubisky, yeah. Lamar Jackson, uh, Daniel Jones, future of the Giants franchise. And whether they want it or not, <laughs> and they want it. Yeah. Take and, it, and, uh, I, I don't there's know why they're complaining. Too, like I'm you take a cut quarterback, you're usually getting a, get a pretty good player. Oh yeah. I don't know. I mean, people just need to be told that like, Hey, by the way, look at the quarterbacks he's coached. Like he, 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 he sort of knows. Be careful. He might and, be, he might be coaching Haynes King and said, cause he's going to Duke. Yeah. I mean, and you never know. I'd much rather go to, yeah. If I'm a quarterback, I'd much rather go to Duke than Auburn where they haven't developed a quarterback since. Yeah. 
Gus has been there. Well, that, George Stidham got drafted, I guess. So you can. Yeah, but he regressed, <laughs> though. He did. <laughs> did you see regret. him play against Tennessee? Or I, did. I did. Even from right. even from our crappy vantage point at the in the end zone of Auburn. That's a, and that's Jordan, a, that's a mystery Stadium. how he just got so mediocre so soon. And Man, I'm, he was such a good player. Well, he transferred for a reason. He was talented. He was always talented, but I don't think yeah, he ever... I, Baylor really missed him, didn't they? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think in college he ever reached quite the, the ceiling that people thought he had. Uh, well, on, before we wrap things up here, I know we've got to move on, but um, I, I think... Uh, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that Tennessee got a commitment from an eighth grader this week. Uh, <laughs> yeah, actually, a rising it, freshman in high school. And, I, I, and, I, really, I really didn't know how to talk about that because I was like, I mean, I, just, we'll, we'll mention it briefly just because it's and First of all, they put out, if you follow the football account on Twitter, they put out a, a kid's camp. We don't know if they got any commitments from those, from <laughs> those little children. Don't think yeah. they did. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Tennessee, no word. Tennessee did get Tony Mitchell, though. But this is different. I mean, it's an early commitment, sure, and it's the kind of deal – We'll check back in in a couple of years and see if he's still serious about it. I mean, who knows what the odds are that he actually ends up at Tennessee. Uh, there's always a chance something could change. Coaches can change in four years. I mean, a ton could happen. But regardless, he had several offers from some big-time programs. Georgia would have taken him this early just like Tennessee would have from what I was told. So uh, I think clearly he's a guy that a lot of people see being a good football player. has great size for a, a guy going into high school. He's already around six feet, six one. 180 pounds. I mean, that, that's the kind of build you want to see, whether he grows into something bigger, maybe he's a linebacker down the road, or maybe he's a safety. You know, we'll, we'll find out what he is in the long run, but he's just a good football player and, and someone that's going to get even better with time, and Tennessee takes him early because there's little downside to taking a guy who's talented this early. I hope he sticks just so in 2023, on signing day, we can be like, this guy committed back in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. It makes me think, because uh, I've mentioned this before, my, my brother's a... a coaches a uh a little league baseball team in uh in memphis and uh he put out the other day he sent he sent me a picture after tennessee took the commitment from that young kid or whatever from from the rising ninth grader down there at thompson high school in alabama he said hey you might want to tell Pruitt this kid standing beside me in this picture is going to be a high four-star dual threat quarterback (laughs) in nine years he he took me he took this picture and he's convinced he's convinced that that his best player he's like i'm telling you how old are these kids uh let's see if they're if he's nine i think they're about like seven eight <laughs> okay yeah and they lost their first game like 10 to one they've been they've been they've been struggling they're they're not they're not very good well if you're a coach and you have a guy like this and, and he wants to commit then what are you gonna say no you're too young i mean yeah. like if you think the kid can play why wouldn't you why wouldn't you yeah i mean uh but the crazy thing though is that his if he the only thing that was, by the way, that was Ryan leaving. He just decided he had enough. He's done. He had to, um, he had to Irish goodbye it. Go do, go do radio. <laughs> um, the uh, crazy thing to me is that if if uh, if this guy sticks, his first game will be the game at BYU. Yes, the, the return the the return fixture Tennessee. Yes, the return fixture. Uh, Tennessee will have already played its game at Oklahoma and both games of the Pitt series by the time that they. Uh, it's crazy. By the time that twenty uh, National Signing Day twenty twenty three rolls around, yeah, and I have a feeling that this kid will probably, um, you know, take visits and do other <laughs> things. To, you know, you know, when 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 he when he can drive, which is still a ways away. <laughs> do we even have a commitment page for twenty twenty three? I don't know that we do. I'm actually. checking right now. I don't know that we do. But hey, there are people down there that oh. live that way. Say this kid's a heck of an athlete. Oh. So hey. Uh, we're twenty four seven sports. We have a twenty twenty three football commitment. Oh, we do. List. Yes. Oh, that's fantastic. I don't think we have the kid rated yet. Probably right. No, it'd be not available. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, no, he's he is he's not been rated yet. 
Well, we're gonna come right back, guys. Uh, unless, unless Patrick, unless you have a, do you have any sort of a problem with listening to some more products and services and and ads? No. Do you uh, like that stuff? Yes, I do too. Let's hear it. It's always good to have it. Be right back in a second, guys. Hashtag ad. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. And we're back. Good and break. We're back. Good break. Good rest. Got to got to go. Put now some, we get to talk about the booze. Got to got to draw some stuff on the whiteboard. Pur came over and kicked the whiteboard. We came back. We 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 got calmed down. We're ready to go to discuss this. Made some halftime adjustments. And we we did promise this discussion last week, and it's going to be interesting because I, I I might be wrong here, but I think Pat and I might actually agree on this. So we're not going to have a lot of point counterpoint, but we're going to have to at least. <laughs> what are, wait, what are we agreeing on? I, I don't, I'm getting to that. I think we're going to agree on this. In case you missed it, and you probably didn't, we promised this last week. Uh, the SEC has recently lifted its uh, booze restrictions where you can get, not it, liquor, but you can get beer and wine now that is up to the schools, whether they want to sell beer and in wine. In the general food. seating areas, uh, the rules were different for the highfalutin, high donor, high money areas, some places. Oh, and the, the rules are different for them in every way in society. Okay. Well, we don't need to get into all that. Um, I was just saying. But this is um, a, yeah, the, the, uh, at, that was the big thing at spring meetings this year was, was the booze policy. Um, and, this, and the SEC has uh, lifted its ban to, to, get, to get semi-political. They've left it up to the states. Yes. Um, and now each. Uh, I, I think there are some ways that's good, and I think that's a, that's well, a smart thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it is too, because you, you need to let schools, you know, if schools want to do that, then they can. Um, I, I said on our board a couple of weeks ago after this came out that I'm I, LSU has to be the first team that'll be like yes we're selling we're selling it all <laughs> surely right I mean <laughs> LSU's um, like I guess we'll make it legal now uh, and so <laughs> the uh, the issue with Tennessee is that um, they haven't even um, if you live in Knoxville or if you live in the surrounding area and you've been to a concert at Thompson Bowling Arena they haven't sold they don't sell alcohol for that either correct uh, however that has changed recently too um, Governor Lee signed a a bill into law, I think in April that allows them to, that they'll be able to sell alcohol at uh, what I guess what they call special events, but that didn't apply necessarily to um, athletic events, basketball games, football games at Neyland. Yeah. Yeah. uh, So on and so forth. So, well, uh, and, and and Philip Fulmer down at SEC spring meetings told Blake Topmeyer, friend of the program that uh, Tennessee is exploring it. And and Tennessee put out a statement saying that um, they will look into it and, um, they support the vote. They think it's um, a good move, and they think they should have. Uh, they they think the individual universities should have the autonomy to make the decisions that's best for their their campuses uh, as it relates to, to selling alcohol. And so, um, I think Tennessee likes the ruling, and they and Tennessee statement said that they'll they're evaluating what the best course of action is to do. Yeah. So I don't know. I I don't know that they'll um, do it this fall. I'd be surprised. Uh, I think if you're Tennessee, and, and really we'll we'll have to see who who's the first who's the first SEC school that that jumps in on this, except for LSU, which almost certainly will. <laughs> okay, fair. Um, but if you're Tennessee, you're probably wondering, 
you're probably thinking, okay, we, we want to see what someone else does and how it works for them. Do they have more issues with crowd control? What's the revenue? Is the, I don't want to say risk worth reward, but uh, is it worth doing? Uh, and, and I think that could be a situation that, 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 that that's maybe how Tennessee will, will go about this is, is to monitor, see if another program does it, see if another school does it, how it does, how it goes. Um, and, and I think that's probably, if I had to make a prediction, and, and I would think that that is how, <clears throat> um, that's how Tennessee will, will go about this, is they'll, they'll see if, if someone else does it, who's the first in the pool, and then they'll ask how the water is. Yeah, my, my, my thought on this is that Tennessee would like to do this. Ultimately, I think that they will, because that, that, the potential revenue is, is there, and in this day and age, there's a lot of, a lot of decisions are, are motivated and based on financial well, yeah. money reasons. I mean, and, and we need this is no secret. We've mentioned this for for years that you know, ever since you know basically everyone was able to get really high quality HD TVs and everything, and the SEC network came around and all those things happened in, in order. It made it it it's made it much more difficult for people to get fans to come to games it just is it's a different era now you can watch all the games at home you know the food and drinks are cheaper uh you can watch it on your big tv in the living room have parties you know get togethers there's all you can go to there's just there's just a lot of reasons that you would want to do this and and, and you're trying to combat sagging attendance i mean tennessee had four games last year where they didn't even have seventy five thousand people in the seats and that's yeah. they and, announced attendances uh but but scan ticket numbers were much significantly lower so much so that i think now tennessee is thinking about for this year or is actually doing it uh, the new ticket policy where you basically you get season tickets but they're not they're basically the best available for every game so what you, and you do, go and you go back in and select it's been a it's been a big hit for basketball for basketball i know some people have done it there and, and have liked having the option to pick different seats and all that kind of stuff yeah and so they're doing that for football now um and, and so i i do think you know my hunch is that ultimately they will, they will give in. But I don't, I don't think it'll be this year. And and, uh, and I think Tennessee has a couple of, of, you know, they have some local examples to, to look at as well. Because both Memphis and Middle Tennessee State, MTSU over there in Murfreesboro, have have already been serving alcohol uh, at their sporting events. And I think uh, I, we've heard some fans on our board. They're kind of wary about this. There are some rules. The SEC hasn't, you know, it's not going to be the Wild West. Um, and I think a lot of people listening have probably been to sporting events where alcohol has been sold, so it's not going to be uh, new. But, you know, part of the, the, the revised policy is that, you know, there's ID checks. You're not, they're not, you know, you'll have to have your ID, obviously. Um, probably wristbands or something. There'll be limits on how many, how many beverages you can get at once. Um, there'll be no hard liquor. Uh, and it'll be in cups, no bottles, none of that. And, and, and they won't have guys, uh, they won't have vendors going around in the stands. They'll be at stationary locations in the stadium, yeah. like a stand or a kiosk. There won't be, we've all been to baseball and, 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 and probably NFL games where, you know, they have beer vendors walking the aisles. Probably that's not going to happen at, at any SEC places. It'll just be certain places throughout the stadium. Uh, and they also have stop times too. So I think at the end of the third quarter. No, you won't be able to go in the fourth quarter and, and get more, yeah, I mean, get more and, and, drinks. And again, I, I so so it's not just a everybody do what they want. Yeah, 
They're gonna have like a a beer a beer shotgunning station. Yes, no, there's not there's not there's there's rules on it. Um, you go to section X X X, you can get a uh, you can get a funnel. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, it's there's not a there's not a, a cold beer sitting at every seat. Yeah, for no, it's not, it, not how it's gonna work. It, unfortunately, no. But I mean, I, I think here's why I'm on this. I have no problem saying two things here. One, I am a hundred percent in favor of selling alcohol at SEC football games. I am one hundred. And ten percent in favor of that. That's and, not. That's mathematically not possible. But go ahead. Uh, that's how. That's how. That's how much conviction I have, Pat. But the second thing is, and this is equally important. I understand why people disagree with that, and I understand why they have concerns. Uh, this is a topic that you have to discuss, um, and I don't think there's any problem with just being very candid about it. Uh, we live in the the northern tip of the Bible Belt, basically, and uh, there are a, a lot of people, a lot of Tennessee football fans included who either one do not drink or two do not think anyone should drink they're, they're the these are people and they have these thoughts and i i cannot say they're right or wrong i'm not going to get into that debate about whether you should or shouldn't i can tell you that i come from a big catholic family so basically you cut us open and a little bit of booze pours out i mean but but it was i grew up in a situation where it was always around because it was at you know i mean church events and stuff and and it was never in my mind, demonized. So it was never put on some pedestal where you would go then abuse it because you're doing something that you're rebelling. It, it wasn't like that. It's just a casual thing. And I do agree with people that there are concerns, especially with college students and binge drinking. And I understand these concerns. And I also understand that people don't want drunk jerks sitting around them at games. Well, my, I understand that. Yeah, and, and that's part of the, the fan experience. But I, I don't know that... Uh, selling alcohol at games will drastically, and I could be wrong. Um, will I think in some ways I, it'll help. I don't. I don't think it'll drastically impact the number of drunk people that are at games because there will still be people that spend however many hours before a game tailgating drinking, and there will still be people that uh, you smuggle airplane bottles in well, you, very different, various different ways into the stadium and and pour them into to souvenir, you know, to to cokes and souvenir cups. I mean, that's just people will still continue to do that, and there's. Uh, there are fans that go to games more for the social aspect of it, more yep. for it to be a good time or to, for it to be a party. And those people, um, is it gonna, you know, is it gonna change? Yeah, I mean, they'll they'll have the option to to buy beer and wine in the stadium, but they also will probably end up having to pay eight to ten dollars. Yeah, per it, pop. Is that something that you're, you know, you're gonna be spending a? Uh, and if you're looking to, you know, get a buzz or whatever off that, you're going to be spending more than you might have ended up spending on tickets. Yeah, because here's where I think in some ways it will help. And again, I have no like scientific data to back. Yeah, this we could up. be we could be totally wrong. This is and it, just it, my it, opinion, it, it, and it's worse. But I I think we all know people, and I know I have several friends who do this, and I know a lot of other people who have several friends who do this. When you know there is not going to be booze served at a game or at a concert or in some cases even at like a wedding, you know, what what you do, and a lot of people do this, they pound drinks before they go because they want to get their buzz up because they yeah. know they won't be able to have another drink for three or four hours, depending on what time they get into the game and what time they leave and all that. So I think those a lot of those people will slow down now because they know they can get a beer at the game. But and I think in some cases that will help not hurt because i think you'll have a lot of situations i think you'll curtail some of those situations where people are pounding way too many drinks right before they go into a game and they they misjudge it and in the first quarter they're sitting there getting sick and being 
rude and obnoxious and and being bad people and yes. all the terrible things that 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 we all that we've all seen. But I mean, I, I just I think when you look at the economics of this, I think when you look at just the reality of the situation, I think you want to do this because I think anything you can do, because I don't think I think this would this would drive some people away, but I think it would add more people than it would detract. So I think that where I come from is a net gain. And I, I think anything you can do to get people in the stands in this era, because Tennessee still loves having these big old stadiums, big old stadiums, and they look great when they're full. They don't look so great when they're not full. And it can hurt a lot of things. People can think that a program is struggling because they're still putting more people in the seats. Tennessee basketball had this for years where it was, had a lot of empty seats, but still we're bringing more people still, in than a lot of places. Yes, yeah. and, and pe- but people never really thought about it like that because, well, the arena was just too big. And anything you can do to get people in the stands is is a good thing. And I think it was like the end of uh, Prohibition when they asked uh, President you know, Roosevelt what he wanted to do, and he was like, I think it would be a good time to have a drink. I just think that that's my policy on this, and I— respect people who disagree with this and if you're a tennessee fan who says that you are so opposed to this that it will prevent you from going to games let them know about it i mean it's your prerogative i i hate that for those people and you know what make your opinion known if you are just like anything else i say this about people with politicians all the time if you like or don't like a plan call and tell them call over there and tell them or if you think hey if you call them and you're one of those people who says you know what I think being able to have a beer at a game will make me more likely to go. Then call them and tell them that. Well, or call, and, or and, if you don't, then call them and tell them that too because they need to know this information and you as the fan do have a voice in this. Not, not to go all Dan Hawkins. This is the Big 12. Go play your murals, brother, on everyone. But newsflash, <laughs> even before they could sell alcohol at, at games, there were drunk people at football games. Yes. And, and to, me, to me, the situation will be uh, will there be an increase in per capita drunk people? I don't know because the people that go to football games just to get drunk will still do that, regregardless. And are you gonna if you're but not? It's it's it, the it's the sort of the neutral people that it, are like it, it, I would like to have a beer or two while I'm watching the football game. Yes, are you gonna want to go wait in line and miss half a quarter? Are you gonna want to have to go pay eight dollars for your light beer of choice? Like, yeah, like when when it's I, like I mean, there what, are some people that are gonna be excited about this. They're gonna get there and be like. Is it really, is it worth it though? You know, it, and for me personal, my personal experience is I don't, I don't like to drink a whole lot of games because you have to wait in line and it's expensive. I mean, that's, that would be a turnoff for me. And there might be people that are, I don't want to say on the fence, but people that are, uh, you know, the, the people that go to football games to have a good time are still going to do that. And they're going to find ways to do that, whether they sell alcohol at the stadium or not. Yeah. I mean, like uh, one, one of my, uh, I like, could be wrong though. I one mean, of my could, personal, this could, this could again. I will again say that I could be very wrong, and there's twice as many well, like, drunk fools in the stands now as there used to be. Yeah, like when I think of like you know like a Shangri La type of like like you're like in the perfect situation. You're for me, it is sitting at a baseball stadium, preferably Wrigley Field, but you're in anywhere. You're sitting in any baseball stadium in the stands on a nice day where the sun is shining and you have a bag of peanuts and you have a beer. And that to me is like one of my, that's like, to me, that's like being on a golf course. That's like, you know, sitting at the beach like that. That's, you know, sitting, I should point out that baseball and football games are different animals. Oh yeah, very much so. But like, I think of things like, 
I mean, it's no secret. I mean, right now we're having to film this thing or record this stuff um, while we're getting the studio fixed. We've been down here in the sunroom for a while, and you can see, like, I mean, we've got bottles of stuff all over the place. Like, I, I like to casually have a drink. It's not like, you know. You basically just said you're an alcoholic. No, no, I'm saying, like, we just have stuff around. And, <laughs> Are you and, drunk right now? Do we need to get a breathalyzer? No, no. Uh, 0.00 right now. But, but I'm just saying, like, you just sit around, and I don't think it's, I don't think most people, I don't think, would abuse it. I think they just like to go have a beer while watching the game, you know? that That's just kind of what we do. Like, if you're at home, you're probably sitting there having a beer, watching a game. Like, that's... And because I like the fact that it's just beer and not liquor, because it's hard. I mean, unless you're just a very much a lightweight, it's hard to have just a couple beers at a game and you're just blitzed. I mean that 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 you know that that's it would happen, I guess. Especially when you have alcohol bottles all over yeah, the place like yeah. West does. Yeah, and I understand that that there are people, especially when you talk about college kids, who they get a little bit wary of this stuff. But if they do it responsibly, if they check IDs, if they have wristbands, if you can only have a certain number of drinks, if you can only if you do this the right way. I think it is a net gain because if you've ever been to Neyland Stadium, you know what that smell is. You walk into Neyland Stadium for those eight, seven days a year, or whatever, you're smelling pretty heavily the smell of liquor. You're smelling, you're smelling whiskey. That's just what it smells like. There are people in there drinking anyway. So why not sell it, tax it, and use that money to benefit? The athletic department. Why not do that? It, it, to they, me, it they, may need, they may need this money to open up the the east and west, uh, east west, east and south concourses that right now, or put the other big put a bigger jumbotron <coughs> in there, which they yeah, want to do, or put a put two in there yeah. so that people like the big wide ones. Yeah, and so you know, money helps with these things. <laughs> stuff costs money. You yeah, know, you, gotta, it, you gotta you gotta. You gotta was it you gotta spend money to make money? That's well, actually that doesn't fit. I mean, I, I <laughs> think it doesn't fit to what I was gonna say. I, I, I think it kind of does, but like it to me, it's a it's a anything you can do that is a net gain for the revenue stream and for the bottom line. I think if you want to be good at this, you have to understand the business part of it because you know how much easier things are for Alabama right now that there are ever since Saban got there, as much money as they spend on him it's still a bargain because they have so much more money floating around that university, that community. I mean, they were able to turn back, you know, a $25 million gift because they didn't like the way it got, the donor was acting. I mean, they, they have that. Yeah. They, and, and a couple of years ago, like a decade ago, I'm not sure Alabama's in the position to do that. I mean, anything you can do to help the Avenue stream, the, the revenue stream, uh, the SEC network helps these other things. I think you got to do it. Yeah, I think we're in agreement on that. But my my final point, and I again, this is just the vibe I, I've get I'm getting. Um, I don't think Tennessee will be first into the into the water on this. I think they'll wait and see if a couple other places do it, um, and to see how it goes there. Um, some schools are saying they're not going to do it. But. So yeah, I think uh, I'm trying to think of the ones that aren't going to do it. Maybe I'll look it up. Real Was quick, it Georgia, Alabama? They said they weren't going to do it. I think. Um, keep, keep talking while I look it up. I mean, I. I, I don't guess though. I do want to. I do want to understand, and this is important to say. I have, all right. I got. There's four of them. Okay, which ones? Uh, Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, and Mississippi State and, have all come out publicly and said they're not going to do it. But there will be a couple that do. Um, again, I think LSU will probably be. Surely, will be first in the book. I would pr- pretty sure LSU. Now, Florida's kind of a. You never know. Florida's such an interesting state. You never know what they're going to do. You think Ole Miss would too? 
You would think so, but I mean, you're you're. It's tough because if you're Ole Miss, you are right there in the heart Especially, of the Bible Belt. But you're Ole Miss, and you have the 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 Grove and all those other things, and it just seems. And plus, like, Mississippi State's not doing it, so why would you want to do it, Mississippi State's doing? Yeah, and and I think this too. I think it's hashtag important. rivalry. I think we're at a point now um, where a lot of times we think anyone who disagrees with us, we we go overboard on judging them and and arguing with them. And I I, I have a hundred percent conviction in what I believe on this, but I also understand why there are people who see it differently. Oh, yeah, I do too. But I think that, listen, no one is telling, my argument would be, no one is telling you that you have to drink. No one's telling you that. You don't, it can affect nothing about you because people who want to drink are going to drink anyway, and people who don't want to drink are not going to drink. And I, I think, I understand why people don't want that there, and they don't want that option, but... Listen, guys, don't be naive. People are going to be drinking anyway. And people have been drinking and anyway. And this, I mean, yeah. this way, people might, some people might not be saying, they might say, you know what? I don't want to get trashed beforehand because now I don't have to. And now I don't have to worry about taking the risk of getting caught bringing liquor into the stadium because I can drink beer. And if you're drinking beer and not liquor, that's usually a, a and, safer thing. And I understand fans that are worried that there's going to be more drunk idiots around them. I mean, some people, a lot, a lot of people take their kids to these games. Yes. And they don't want, you know, they don't want to, you know, have their kids be around that. And that's understandable. I mean, there's totally there's, understandable. There have been drunk idiots at football games before this. And, um, and everyone knows those guys ruin the things around they them. They do. And, and there are fans out there that are probably wondering, as bad as Tennessee's been over the past several years, they're probably like, hey, it'd be nice to, if I'm going to have to watch bad football. Let, let me at least have. Let me watch a it cold in peace. while I'm at it. Yeah. Let, let, let me watch it. Let me take the edge off so I can. <laughs> yeah. You know, no one wants to just go into this cold. Like, just let me. You know, let me. Let you know, what? I don't want to watch this game anymore. I'm gonna go get a beer. Yeah. <laughs> <You> <laughs> know, I have to miss a quarter. If I miss half a quarter waiting in line, so be it. Yeah, and maybe you get this superstitious thing going, like where if I go get a beer and then I come back and it's better, and they score a touchdown. I'm like, hey, I just helped. You know, we're all superstitious in some in some ways. I just. I, yeah, I, 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 don't, I, I don't. I think it's inevitable that it's going to happen. It's not pretty much everywhere. I'd be surprised. I'd be very surprised. Oh, I, I, I agree with that. I, I think, I, I think it's a situation where people are going to do it anyway, and I think if you can make money off of that, you should do that because I, everyone wants to think, oh, you know, this is amateur athletics. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah, but it's a business, and it's a business yeah, it's a that big money business. Too. It's a huge huge part of this state's economy and i just i think anything you can do to help is something you should do so is it weird that we agree we should have disagreed on something i hate that i just, i hate that i am on the same side of, as you with this this that's, is bad bad sign for me that's, pro- that's probably a good point. but then i look down and see that i'm wearing a brave shirt and i'm reminded that they're in first place while the cubs are not in first place so yeah, because, I'm, because I'm, they're never, I'm good they're never going to win a road game ever again apparently and liverpool won the champions league it's a good good sports year for you so far. And the Grizzlies are about to draft John Morant, so it's a good go. summer so far. And they're, not, they're definitely not trading that pick? Nope. Definitely not. Definitely not. That's fair. This is a good time to point out that if we do a podcast next week, I probably will not be on it because I'll be on, I'm on vacation at an unspecified location. That's true. You know what? We're going on vacation in a few weeks and we're leaving the country and we don't know exactly where we're going yet because that is how we roll. I would not go to the Dominican Republic right now. <laughs> yeah, probably going to avoid the DR for a little Which bit. Which I hate to say because my wife and I went on our honeymoon there, but... We might do St. Lucia. I might go to Jamaica. We haven't decided yet. We loved St. Lucia last year. It's a great time. I highly recommend St. Lucia to anyone. It's a great place. Great, I'll, great place. I'm going to go on my vacation and then I will come back and tell you people where I went. 
Yeah. I don't want you people to know where I'm at. The, the, as the St. Lucians told us last year. And by you people, I mean you people listening because Wes and my coworkers now. One of the St. Lucian people joked with me. They said, you know what? You you Americans say that Canada is America without guns. St. Lucia is Jamaica without guns. <laughs> so, yeah, that was and, and that, that was the truth. There was a, a lot of great things going on there. Thanks for tuning in this week, guys. We'll have a football or a hoops podcast later in the week. Uh, you can find all of us on GoVols247.com. You can find us on social media. Uh, I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P Brown 24-7 on Twitter. Uh, Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. Uh, you can also get all of us at twitter.com slash govols247. That's our that's the just the facts, ma'am, just the facts, sir, portion of the uh, of the social media, just Tennessee, all Tennessee all the time. Also the same thing on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash govols247. Uh, Pat and Grant have done a tremendous job on that site uh, you can also if you want to go straight to the hose you just want to drink the water just right from the hose just bring it to me that's govals247.com got 30% off on annual subscription right now guys cheaper than cheaper than one mediocre lunch gets you an entire month an entire month of Tennessee football football recruiting basketball basketball recruiting baseball baseball recruiting lady balls everything just everything administration news all of it all the time we call it 24 7 for a reason go check it out if you don't like it uh i will be disappointed in you as a person maybe a little bit i don't know maybe that was harsh pat was that harsh a little bit but it's it's our business it's a little bit a little bit harsh though that's fair any final thoughts no